0: Welcome back to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Tony.
1: And I'm Mariana.
0: And the fitness industry right now is not what it could be. It's become something built on unrealistic expectations, aesthetics, and external validation, directing attention from what matters the most. The bottom line is we're not trying just to provide you with another fitness podcast, but completely change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you the confidence in applying the best possible training, nutrition, and supplementation in your own Life where today, Tony's been counting this down for weeks.
1: I know. We're giving that. I've been this has been my fault. He's been wanting to do it for so long, and I haven't been mentally prepared for it.
0: This is probably the most prep I think has gone into an episode since I can't remember the last time, but we're finally here. I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. (laughs) Today, we're giving you a complete field guide on how to fix your sleep because fixing your sleep isn't as easy as taking a pill or wearing some blue light blocking glasses, which don't do as much as you might think. The reason your sleep might be suffering is probably different than the person next to you and the person next to them. You might struggle falling asleep, or maybe you can fall asleep, but you can't stay asleep and you're waking up through the night. Maybe you get plenty of sleep, but when you wake up in the morning, you're as tired, if not more tired than when you went to bed in the first place. These are all different problems and require different solutions. So today, the goal is to help you identify what area or areas of your sleep need fixing and then locate the tools that you can use to improve them. We even put together an Amazon list of any products that we talk about or mention today that help improve your sleep, like a sunrise alarm clock, which helps you wake up more energized, specific supplements, and more that we are affiliated to in zero way. We're making no dollars off of that. We'll put that in the show notes down below. But before we jump into the business, if you love us or just one of us, because I know People probably have their fan votes and hate. I know people who's probably like, "Oh, we love Mariana and another guy. He's okay too." Uh, if you like one of us, we'd appreciate it. If you went over, it's ten seconds right now. Go leave a five star review on whatever you're listening for. That pushes it to so many more people, and we're so appreciative of everyone who's done that. So. And if you're on Spotify, you can actually follow us. So every Monday when we publish an episode,
1: you don't miss a thing
0: and it pops right up.
1: And if you want more after each episode, you can join us on premium for just $5 a month where you get a bonus episode every single Friday where we answer your own questions. Next week, we're actually doing a huge Ask Me Anything episode, answering all the extra questions our audience asked about sleep that we weren't able to get to today. Just a few weeks back, we dropped our first ever complete training program for free to all premium members with our 12-week push-pull leg program. So you also get that when you join. On top of all of that, being a Fitness Stuff premium member gets you entered into our $300 Legion supplement giveaway every single month. Sign up in the show notes below also a quick note from our day one sponsor legion supplements you guys know we love them talk about them all the time if you need to re-up on your staples like pre-workout protein powder legion products are some of our favorites obviously from both a quality and a taste standpoint and you can get 20 percent off when you use FS Pod at checkout and use the link in our show notes below Pop.
0: down to business how'd you sleep last night
1: how I sleep. I actually slept really well last night for the first night. I, I'm just coming down from a cold. So sleep hasn't been that great. That's why I'm a little nasally right now.
0: When I have a cold, I can't sleep just because I can't breathe through my nose.
1: I, yes. When I lay down, I'm like gasping for air and I hate it.
0: And then I wake up like 20 times a night because my throat and my lips are just so dry. Mm-hmm. If I do that, it's the just another great part about being sick, yeah. which is always fun. I'm a little excited and. Just for fair warning, we don't post record our intros after the show is over. This episode is going to be a doozy because we're not diving too deep into the mechanisms of sleep, which I think are super cool, super interesting. We are honing in and focusing on the tools that you can implement today, tomorrow, this week, this month to actually improve your sleep. I think if we did the mechanisms, this would have been like a three, four hour episode.
1: Oh, yeah. We're not here for that. So this could be a little bit
0: longer. Who freaking knows? I'm just giving a fair Mm -hmm. warning before we jump into it because sleep is something that we've kind of talked about since day one on the podcast i mean it's been like an overarching theme right And it's as far back as we've gone
1: yeah and it it fits into so many different aspects of health and fitness it's such an important tool to pay attention to and perfect if you can as best as possible but it definitely deserves its own episode because there's so much we haven't talked about and it can go so deep like We won't even be able to cover everything.
0: And this is what I love doing before our filming days is putting a Instagram Q&A up for the audience, just asking them what they want to know more about this issue. So I just put it up yesterday asking what people wanted to know about sleep, different aspects of sleep, where they're struggling, how to improve it. I think I got over 500 responses and I'm not going to lie. It was a little proud moment. I was
1: Mm -hmm. expecting
0: like 20% of them to be about what supplement can I take to improve my sleep? I was like, come on, guys. There's only like, I think three to five that were asking about sleep supplements out of 500. And all yeah. the rest were about something else. I was, I was, a little, I was proud. It was a proud moment.
1: I feel like sleep supplements, too. That's one thing you can realize pretty quickly like, well, this doesn't, this is not doing anything.
0: It's the same thing of the, the individuals that ask, like, oh, what's the best supplement I can take for knee pain? It's like, the best supplement you can take is a 10 minute mobility routine a couple of times a week that you do consistently, right? That's going to yeah. do a hundred times more than anything else, but I think today's going to be extra cool because if you've listened to the show for a while or if not to fill you in, one, we're going to talk about the science-based and evidence-based tools, really the most up-to-date research on how to improve different aspects of your sleep, but sometimes science isn't the most accurate advice for you. And what I mean by that is there's anecdote and there is science or evidence, and sometimes the evidence-based camp goes a little too hard, I think in our opinions, I don't want to speak for you too. But they say, if you don't have a recent meta-analysis done in the last two years confirming X, Y, or Z, it doesn't exist. Where certain other things, just by testing with clients, with yourself, have certain applications in certain areas. And the example I I was talking to you about is the most recent meta-analysis on the supplement melatonin, which is a hormone in your body, but supplementing with melatonin. And for those at home who don't know what a meta-analysis is, it's kind of the gold standard of what you want to look for. It's where they take all relevant individual studies that have been done. They put them together and they say, okay, what can we pull from all of this data across averages essentially, right? And Mm -hmm. the most recent one showed that supplementing with melatonin only increased total sleep time by three to four minutes, not percent minutes per night, and only increased your sleep efficiency or quality by 2.2%. So essentially, it does nothing according to this made analysis but i know this from myself from working with people and i think you know this too And we were talking about this there are situations and people in even in whole entire individual studies that show that melatonin might have an application in certain areas but if you look at just the average it might mm-hmm. not so i think that's where the anecdote kind of matters today because you've been working on your sleep i feel like since day one of this podcast is when you started saying it was struggling and then you started working on it more recently. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sleep and I have not always been great. Um, I've really always struggled with my sleep and it wasn't until this year that I really got my shit together and was like, I have to be consistent with specific things and I need to really look at what my environment is like and what I'm doing and not Perfect a certain routine because someone else did it and it worked for them. Like, really had to get more yeah. individualized in terms of what was going on with me. And it's been literally life changing. Obviously, it sounds stupid, but it took me a long time to get there. Really, since and COVID, to be honest, is when I've been trying to work on it.
0: But I think that's a, a pretty important piece. Like, how much time and effort have you put into it? Because everyone knows it's important, but how many minutes per week, you even spend five minutes per week intentionally trying to improve a certain aspect that's going to lead to improved sleep? like I I don't think so. Like most people not. Like how many hours did you spend in the gym? How many hours did you spend meal prepping? How many hours did you intentionally work on your sleep health? Right? Like how many hours do you think you put in over the last few years in total? Probably you can't count.
1: Oh my God. So many, so many. But really it's like, I would think in terms of being successful with it recently, Mm -hmm. like an hour... A day if it's just mental work or it's actually perfecting routine or i don't
0: know and i don't want to use scare tactics but here's a quick highlight of what comes from not getting enough sleep and then the benefits of getting enough quality sleep the not so good things that happen when you don't get enough sleep there's immediate repercussions and there's more long-term repercussions the immediate repercussions are and i think everyone can relate to this impaired cognitive function your decision making your problem solving your attention your creativity the day after you don't sleep sucks we've all been there I think we all know that one it weakens your immune system and I don't know about this it might be because you were traveling around all week this happened to me when I was traveling to Chicago when my sleep is not prioritized and I'm traveling for a few days nine times out of ten I will catch a small cold or get some sickness right when I get back
1: that's that's exactly what happened to me I'm almost happy I got sick because I was staying up too late reading and now I'm like I can't do this. This is what happens. This is what my body does. And it's telling me something because I had a really good routine and no more. <laughs> yeah,
0: it bites in the butt. So it weakens your immune system, which I don't think many people realize. It leads to certain mood disorders ranging from anxiety and depression, but even mood regulation throughout the workday that bleeds into really every relationship in your life. And here's a—I want to call it a fun fact a not so fun fact. There is no major psychiatric disorder that you can find where sleep is normal. There's no major psychiatric disorder, zero, where sleep is normal. That's so real. But it's so cool. not saying one causes the other, but how how crazy is that, that it can be that tightly bound, zero. And not only that, and this is still on the immediate side, hormonal imbalances, reduced libido, your appetite regulating hormones, your stress hormones like cortisol, production of hormones like testosterone and estrogen, which can plummet your sex drive. To even the degree where, if you look at the research, men who sleep only four to five hours per night were found to have a level of testosterone of someone who is 10 years older than them who sleeps normal, the seven to nine hours. So essentially, it ages testosterone production in men by a decade. And that's only the short term. What about the long term repercussion? Accelerated aging, cardiovascular problems, including increased inflammatory markers, heart disease, hypertension obesity, which is more of an indirect relation, but dysregulation of appetite hormones leading to overeating, decreased willpower, decreased energy, which leads to less movement through the day, all these things. And I mean, a scary part, but it's relation to all cause mortality or death from all causes. And some of the things that we talk about that are really closely related, things like your daily step count, your overall strength and muscle mass as you aged and REM sleep in particular, rapid eye movement, which we'll talk about later, REM sleep in particular, more than any other stage, shows a pretty linear increase drawn out to the point where every 5% reduction in REM sleep, there looks to be a 13% increase in all-cause mortality over time. That's not a small correlation. That's not a small jump. And that's REM in particular, not even just sleep timing, which is even crazier. So I didn't want to sound too scary. That sounded not good.
1: No, I don't think it sounds too scary because people don't think about how this time in sleep is the only time you're giving your body every single system in your body every single organ in your body time to recover time to rest time to replenish its energy which is required for its proper functioning think about over time the effect of not giving your body that the repercussions of that are literally detrimental so no I don't think it's yeah. too it's not like oh uh, you might all. have
0: a bad day or two but this stuff adds up. And it's like, what about the good things Uh, or the positive consequences of constantly getting enough sleep? And I know this is just someone who's speaking, who's worked. I mean, I've worked on my sleep health for probably two to three years now, ever since Mm -hmm. I got the Aura Ring. I know you have too. It changes your life. Essentially, Mm -hmm. all the goods are the opposite as before. If sleep wasn't just a normal thing, it would be a banned substance. Consider this. This one thing boosts your libido and sexual function, reduces the effort it takes to build muscle and cut body fat. By an insane amount, improves your mood, emotional reactivity, and mental health disorders like anxiety, depression, even elevates learning ability, creativity. Almost every metric of cognition that we have, you see improvements in. And that's before we get into metabolic health, hormonal health, and everything else. It is the closest legal thing you have to steroids, but you're not taking advantage of it. And we've talked about this in every tool that we're going to provide you with today on the podcast. You can buy an Amazon for five to 25 bucks outside of just a few things. Take What we talk about today, put it into action for one month and change your entire life. Like the the positive Mm -hmm. benefits that you can see, it. I don't want to overstate it. It improves everything, everything. And there's not much that can actually be drawn out, except for creatine. I'm kidding, but sleep really does encompass really almost every aspect of your health. So the goal today in this episode is we want to start by identifying exactly where you are struggling with this, because this is the, the the thing that drives me crazy the most, but honestly, something I didn't realize until I had a sleep tracker is you realize it's such a complicated problem to fix. And there's so many moving parts when it comes to your sleep. And I want to use an analogy like a car engine. And I do want to just preface this by saying, I know nothing about cars. I have a mechanic for that. So this might be the dumbest analogy that I've ever used. I don't know. It makes sense in my head. It might make sense in yours. But there are over 500 to a thousand moving parts in a car engine. If it's not working and you take it to the mechanic, does the mechanic just throw some oil on it without looking at it at all? They just throw some oil and say that should do it? Absolutely not. They identify which specific parts aren't working with the engine. Is it the fuel injectors, the water pump, the timing belt? I did have to Google those. What exactly Mm -hmm. isn't working so we can focus and fix that one piece? That's what Mm. you do to solve any kind of problem. So we need to treat it like any sort of problem, people just say, oh, should I just take magnesium? That'll improve your sleep. What what part of sleep will that improve or fix? So Mm -hmm. we want to start by defining what exactly the problems are. Is it your sleep quality? Maybe not your quantity, but your quality. Are you not getting enough REM sleep? Are you not getting enough deep sleep or both? Because those are two different things that require two different solutions. Maybe you can't fall asleep at night. You just sit there staring at the sky for hours on end which wasn't that kind of what you went through when you first started fixing it because you're a night owl
1: yeah um so for me because my anxiety my brain would also keep me up so like I'd feel Mm. so wired in my head because I'd be thinking about every single thing I've ever done in my life that has been bad or could lead to my doom And just my brain, like not being able to turn my brain off. So the staying up piece has always been something I've really had to work on.
0: If I had to look back at the questions, I feel like that was one of the more common ones too, is people struggle with falling asleep. And that was one that I had to deal with for a while too. But maybe Mm -hmm. you can fall asleep, but maybe you can't stay asleep. And maybe you wake up frequently of super fragmented sleep. Or maybe you just wake up later in the night and you just can't fall back asleep. I struggle with that one for a while where every morning for some reason, like clockwork at 2 a.m., I would just wake up and I'd be awake. There was no hope of me going back to bed. It was the worst feeling in the world. But once you understand what might be causing that, you can work on addressing that. Another Mm -hmm. big one too is maybe you do get enough sleep. Maybe you get seven to nine hours, but you wake up in the morning and you just don't feel well rested. You feel almost more tired than when you went to bed. So we're going to treat it like any problem. We're going to help identify the aspect that probably needs fixing. You ideally would want to gather information, which if you have something like a whoop band, an aura ring, something to track your sleep, it does make it easier. But we're also going to go through different aspects where you're going to realize different parts of your day are going to be red flags for different aspects. And then we're going to use Mm -hmm. analytical thinking. We're going to prioritize the thing that matters. We're going to set an action plan and you're going to monitor your progress. And you adapt and you adapt and you adapt. And I will say this too. Wearing like an aura ring or a Whoop band, because you don't even, do you have an Apple watch too or no?
1: I I don't use it anymore. I never really thought it was that accurate. Yeah. Um,
0: I, we've tried to get in contact with Aura. This is just a side note for everyone listening. We've tried all the time because we want to offer our mm-hmm. audience just the best prices for the best products. Why we also have those like exclusive partnerships in premium that we don't take any commission from. Mm-hmm. We're not sponsored by Aura in any single way. But again, I, ta- I don't shut up about it. This is probably the best purchase I've made for my health in the last five, to, my lifetime, to be honest, just with how much it's Everyone really Everyone says it's me so worth
1: the hype. I think I'm going I'm, I'm to get I mean, it.
0: It's but. a couple hundred bucks, which it is a little bit pricey, but think about it like this. And this is mm-hmm. how I think about things like my gym membership. My gym membership is like 150 bucks a month, which if you asked 20-year-old Tony, he would have been like, you're freaking insane. There's a $19 a month one 15 minutes yeah. from here. But it's three blocks away from my house. So I can walk to it, meaning I will not miss a workout because all I have to, I can't talk myself out of walking out, right? I'm not going to be late to something because I can't walk three blocks versus driving 15 or 20 minutes to the next closest one. It makes it easy. And if you break it down, cost per use, I'm paying a few bucks a day that I go. It's, it's improving every yeah. aspect of my life. And that's how I see this aura band is I've had this for two years now. It's working just as well as I got it. It was a $2.99, I think, when I got it. So it's probably what, 25 to 50 cents per day. That you use this mm-hmm. and it can give you that insight. And in my opinion, it's worth it. So what we're gonna try and do too, and same thing with Whoop, I haven't used that if you're more of a wristy uh for wearables. Mm-hmm. We're gonna try before this episode gets published to find some sort of a discount code for both and put them in the links down below. Not anywhere we make any sort of commission. Right now, I think the one that we have is just because any aura member gets it, is $40 off any ring of your choosing, which if you're looking for rings, I got a couple messages about this too. They've got a next gen, like a newer one and an older one. And the older one's like a hundred bucks cheaper. The older one has the same exact technology. It just looks a little bit different. It doesn't have a little flat top, which I Mm -hmm. actually like that a little bit more. So if you're wondering which one, it's the same exact technology. If that's the case, because I hate, I don't like the affiliate aspect of it. I think they said, if you get like a certain amount of people who use the code or whatever, it's infinite but they'll give you like a $60 aloe gift bag. So if that ends up coming in through the codes, we're just going to use that as like a giveaway for the next podcast because we don't need anything like that. That was just something to mention. We're going to focus on four really key moments throughout the day. When you wake up, which is often I think the most overlooked step in assessing and improving your sleep. The afternoon, which is when we need to start paying attention to certain things to make sure they don't interrupt how our bodies are preparing for sleep later that night. The moments preparing and leading up to bed, and then the hours that you are asleep or your sleep setting. So we're going to go into each of these. And I think it's interesting to touch on. And this is something I know my aura ring gave me. You could probably figure this out, but it takes about 90 days of day and night data to really fine tune this. But have you noticed that some people are up and ready to go at sunrise as soon as the sun comes up, while others don't even or can barely function until lunchtime? Essentially something called your chronotype is another way of saying whether you're a morning person, a night person, or somewhere in between there's six types and it's strongly determined by your genetic makeup and reflects your individual circadian rhythm, which we'll talk about next. We've talked about this. (laughs) One of us is more of a morning person. One of us is more of an evening person. You're probably up reading at 2. A.M. where I'm just in my second sleep. No,
1: not anymore. Not anymore.
0: (laughs) anymore. I'm a morning person type person and i don't think people realize how much this goes into it for instance those with evening chronotypes will have on average a two hour delay during which their bodies biologically want to wake up relative to morning types and what i mean by that biologically wants to wake up that means a two hour delay in nighttime temperature decreases where your body's preparing for bed And other key points where changes happen throughout the day, melatonin production, cortisol spikes in the morning, things like that, a two-hour delay. And you've probably realized this when you are sleeping in sync with your chronotype, you might wake up some mornings and be like, why do I have this much energy? This is not normal. Yeah, That might be a reason is your body just wanted to wake up. Your biology is helping you. And it'll make more sense when we talk about the circadian rhythm. And I think that's interesting because too often people will beat themselves up Because they can't stick to a morning workout routine at 5 or 6 a.m. And I mean, this is a big kind of deal. But essentially, there's six types. The early morning type, which is less than 10% of the population. The normal morning type, which is where I kind of sit. The later morning type. And then an early evening type, evening type, and late evening type, which is, again, less Mm -hmm. than 10% of people.
1: I'm also curious if there's any research done on, like, people with depression and their chronotype. Because, I don't know, I just... Your sleep cycle is so affected by depression that I'm like, ugh, I don't know. I just I would always feel for people in class who would also be sleeping like I would in like first and second period. And I would always say, I'm like, dude, I'm just so depressed. Like I have to sleep at this hour of the day. And this was in high school. So like wasn't really putting much work into understanding it. But I don't know. I just oh, I've always felt for people in school when school does not cater to your sleep cycle because you'd have to no. be in class at seven in the morning
0: like certain certain areas job school everything really gives you a competitive advantage if your lifestyle is set up in line with your chronotype for real Mm -hmm. so if your life isn't set up in line with your chronotype you might be way more tired throughout the day if you're forcing yourself to get up earlier or you have to because of a job or school and you're even honestly in that point setting yourself up for a worse night's sleep and it's just a never-ending cycle where if you know your chronotype And you can adjust different parts of your life to somewhat suit that you'll find yourself having a lot more energy, waking up more naturally energized, having better mood throughout the day and even getting better quality sleep at night. And that Mm kind of leads us to the circadian rhythm, which I know people have heard this is a common word thrown around.
1: No, it's thrown around all the time, but I just had a memory that I really briefly have to share. (laughs) I used to have to have like my parents used to and I used to have to get a note from my therapist to my school to have gym PE first period have I ever told you that because I would sleep because I'd be passed out in every single class and I would not be able to pass it without it because and then we'd go to gym and we'd be doing our stretches and I'd be flailed on the ground like out cold like
0: just taking a nap passed
1: out but it would still wake me up in the morning because I would fail a class if I had it first period. but you had a
0: legit you had a legit note
1: yeah I had to get a note from my therapist yeah Yeah.
0: I freaking love that. I can't believe I haven't heard that story before.
1: I just remembered it.
0: (laughs) But I mean, that's probably definitely a telltale sign. I would be, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised, but when you get like, if you get the aura ring and after the data is collected, guaranteed, it's going to put you closer to that time. And it'll show you like ideal wake up and sleep times, which is another cool perk of a tracker. But your circadian rhythm, I know people throw this around, right? Your body's essentially what it is, right? Your body's approximate 24-hour internal clock, which regulates your hunger, your wakefulness, your alertness, digestion, hormone release, a lot of different things. And this uh, this is just to go to show, this is hard science. This is not a foo-foo-woo-woo-cool technique. This is really backed by science. And oftentimes, when you feel your best, your life is aligned with that circadian rhythm and that's where i think the chronotype data that's more recent than the circadian rhythm data is cool because up until the last several years we didn't know how much genetics played a role in individual circadian rhythm we thought it was just something that was set on by sunlight which largely influences it but we didn't know how much individuals really varied. so these aren't just fun ideas this is science now this rhythm and we're not going to dive too deep into it but a lot of the Tools that we're going to put in place at different parts in your day essentially mimic different parts of this circadian rhythm to help keep things in line. Okay, mm. so this rhythm is traced and regulated by a group of neurons located on the roof of our mouths. I am not going to try and produce or pronounce the word because it is, uh, it's so ridiculous. Do you know what it There's no way you know what it is.
1: Is it a geniculate ganglion neuron? They're like an oral factory neuron in your roof of your mouth. Geniculate, I believe so. I, I think believe I, that sounds
0: did you remember that or did you Google it?
1: No, I Googled it. Be but I, remember, okay. I was like, like no. I, I remembered like oral factory neurons just from like anatomy. And so I was like, what are those in your like mouth area? Janicula. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right though, but it's.
0: That sounds right. I'll give you, I'll give you two claps for that. That was good. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's a group of neurons located over the roof of your mouth. And every cell in our body has genes to ensure it operates on this 24 hour cycle. This clock is largely regulated and influenced by external cues with light being one of the most potent, which I think if you've ever listened to Huberman, you start to get why he's so into light. Now, some big and notable aspects, we're not going to take you hour, hour, day by day, but some notable aspects that I think are worth mentioning that are regulated by this rhythm. One is your core body temperature actually rises and falls about two to three degrees Fahrenheit every day. It drops nearly two to three degrees before falling asleep. So it cools you down, getting you ready for bed, and it starts to naturally rise in the morning, the hours before you start waking up. One of those things that kind of helps prep your body to be awake and alert is it starts raising your internal temperature. Another big one is melatonin production. And again, this is a hormone, not just the supplement, which I know people talk about. But melatonin production, if things are going according to plan, starts to increase about two to three hours before your bedtime. And that's a large problem of people that struggle falling asleep. Is there are certain things interrupting melatonin from being produced in the quantities it needs to be another big one in the morning and why people don't wake up feeling well rested is cortisol production, which is, I know we've had this conversation, Gets a really bad rap for being a stress hormone, but it is a very beneficial and key player in how you wake up in the morning. You naturally should be getting a rush of cortisol to jumpstart your day. And honestly, this is where it kind of gets that unfair to fair advantage. Early birds get a larger and earlier influx than those evening types. When you actually track them over a 24 hour period and a more notable one for body composition, as far as how you're building muscle, recovering from injury and losing fat is growth hormone, which is mostly released during pulses during the deep stages of sleep. So not REM, not light, but deep sleep is when you're getting these larger pulses of growth hormone. And if you're misaligned, you typically see less growth hormone and potentially the wrong timing, which could lead to lethargy, tiredness, all these different things. About 70% it, of your total growth hormone is produced in deep sleep.
1: Is that why? Uh, I'm trying to see if this makes sense. Like when I was going through my growth spurt, I'm very tall. People don't know. Like you, I was so tired all the time. It felt like I needed a lot more sleep when I was going through my. That, like o-
0: I, I mean, honestly, I grew that four would inches make a lot of, in a of sense. Year. That and would, I was always tired. That would actually, that's really interesting. That would make a lot of sense because I know individuals who take, I know we did a premium AMA on a growth hormone releasing peptides that actually do a pretty decent job at releasing growth hormone. Mm-hmm. They typically take them right before bed because you can, you can barely function during the day because you're, you're so lethargic and you're so tired. Yeah. And those also increase those peptides would increase deep sleep. I wouldn't doubt that too, because usually when you're going through growth spurts, you do have larger amounts of growth hormone.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: that's kind of cool. But that's essentially the big pieces of your circadian rhythm and what it does. So really lining things up with that is going to help you feel better, sleep better, and go through the day. There is a quick note I wanted to mention on something called circadian misalignment. And this is more common in shift workers, jobs that are very misaligned with your chronotype. So if you're a, a late, late night chronotype and you have a very, very early shift or you're working overnight, or even honestly, if you just have children and your sleep is unpredictable, Which I know we're answering more in the AMA about that. Your body can operate outside of this ideal rhythm, but there are health consequences that are beyond feeling hungry or just struggling to stay awake. If your lifestyle is chronically misaligned with your circadian rhythm, it can negatively impact your immune health, your reproductive health, your gastrointestinal, (laughs) your endocrine or hormone health, and your cardiovascular systems, which could really lead to major drawbacks down the line. And that's where I think we're going to talk about this more in the AMA next week with all the questions like the more individual questions about sleep but if you work a night shift or you you do have a job that's very misaligned it's one of those things that can be very challenging to work around in my opinion it's worth diving into to see how you can optimize or even change your schedule based on that because of how many things but that was a quick note i didn't want to leave out we're going to go over quickly the different sleep stages and really going over the major differences between sleep quality and sleep quantity Because I think Mm. for most people, when you get advice on sleep, it's to sleep seven to nine hours or try and get your eight hours a night. And that's usually as deep as it goes where your sleep quality, how you're sleeping during those hours matter just as much, if not more, or how efficient you are sleeping matter that much more. Because when I was sleeping before, and this was years ago when I first got this ring, I was sleeping eight to nine hours per night. And if I didn't get that nine hours, I was barely able to function. And even when I did, I was still exhausted the next day. And when I finally got this ring, it's because I figured out that my, my deep and even more so on REM, what was barely existing. It barely existed. Quantity matters. Have you noticed that in your own aspects? Like quality yes, versus quantity? And I, also,
1: I feel like people are really stubborn to that fact. Like people know it's true, but don't want to believe it. I think about that all the time with smoking weed before bed. Like people smoking weed or taking edibles before bed used to be definitely used to be that person. Definitely used to be that person who, one, like my anxiety was through the roof. So I thought that having some edibles before bed was helping and because I couldn't sleep and I would wake up so tired, but I would think, oh, I slept so long and so heavy that it was just I'm just having good sleep. No,
0: I'm sleeping too. good. That's the problem. I'm sleeping way too good. That's a valid point because we talked about this in a previous episode. We're talking about this later in the third aspect of your day of things you really want to avoid before falling asleep is alcohol and weed or marijuana, (laughs) which both of those things people report helping them fall asleep when it's not helping your body naturally fall asleep. It's helping sedate you quicker. And mm-hmm. both of those things are going to severely blunt your body's ability to fall into deeper stages in REM sleep, which is where you're getting that recovery, where you're getting refreshed for the next day, which we'll talk about. And this is, again, we don't want to dive too deep into the mechanisms here. The other metrics that we covered, I, it was in episode 37 on what metrics you need to be paying attention to on your Apple Watch, Fitbit, or, or a Ring. Things like your sleep latency or how long it takes you to fall asleep, because most people think falling asleep fast is a good thing. It's actually a big red flag if your sleep latency is under three to five minutes. If when you get Yo, the pillow and you're out. Narcolepsy,
1: maybe.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, but that's a big key where a lot of people don't realize that's not a good thing. Taking too long, mm-hmm. but taking too short either is a big, big sign that you are overworking during the day. And Jack, usually my what boyfriend, are you
1: listening? He's literally, I, I don't know if he's listening, but I tell him that all the time literally just falls if you work in construction i think it's a if you work in construction you're just in that in a chair on a couch you're out cold the second you hit it (laughs)
0: like it's crazy well yeah because you're just oh my god because it's brutal all day long long hours but like again big red flag where that was something that would happen i would hit the pillow and i would fall right asleep at times and i thought that was a great thing i was like finally because how annoying is it just laying there tossing and turning your mind racing And you finally erase that. You're like, oh, this is a good thing. But why am I still not getting this good sleep? Why am I not feeling refreshed in the next day? That could be a big reason why. But anywho, in episode 37, we covered things like your sleep rate latency, your HRV, your body temperature trends. So we're not going to go into those quite today. But when it comes down to quantity versus quality, let's talk about quality real quick. And we'll talk about sleep apnea a quick note as well, because honestly, the more I dive into that over the last year, they call it the silent killer. Because most people who yeah. have sleep apnea, especially if you live or sleep alone, don't know they have it. And you're significantly, I'm not talking a small amount, increasing your risk for really not just all cause mortality or dying from any cause, but especially certain types of cancer, stroke, and cardiovascular disease. You see a massive increase with sleep apnea. So if you've got someone who's a loud, loud snore, and it's essentially sleep apnea, it's where you're really just, you stop breathing at certain points during mm-hmm. the night anywhere from a few seconds upwards of a minute where you just stop breathing and then you just gasp for air. And this can happen hundreds of times overnight. It's something that you might want to get checked out or have a test done to look at a, I think I'm honestly, I'm sad, but I think I'm going to need one of those. What are those? The sleep apnea masks. Oh my the God. Length. Those ones?
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't not know. For that. Do more men get it than women?
0: Usually the, the most common attributes are being overweight, being a bodybuilder or being men as well. You see a much, much, much higher risk, risk. but it's super common in the bodybuilding world, which most people don't realize because it used to be thought Hmm. of as if you're just overweight Yeah, and when you're a bodybuilder, you would consider yourself relatively healthier than most people. But all that extra stress on your body leads to this. And that's why so many honestly earlier, younger deaths happen in bodybuilding is they trace it back to, oh, this person had sleep apnea they died from cardiovascular disease or they died from like wow. stroke. And they're like, that might've had a big piece to do with it because mm. people don't tend to check it out. Now, when it comes down to sleep stages, there are essentially three major aspects. There's light sleep, which is your stage one and two. Your muscles are a little bit relaxed, but you might jerk. I, do you or Jack get the jerk? I No, look Jack like
1: jerks. Also, is that a thing? in guys, I, I feel like, you, why do you guys twitch in your sleep? It is the weirdest thing to me every, you I, all I look do like it. like a
0: freaking cartoon character getting electrocuted. I'm like, like it, it's bad. But your, your breathing slows, your heart rate begins to decrease, your body temperature drops. Those are light stages. Still important, but not what are going to overall determine your quality. What determines your quality are these two aspects. That is deep sleep and REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. But honestly, some people just consider deep sleep. I, I know when most people talk about it, They just say, I don't sleep deep enough, but that could mean one of two things, either REM sleep or deep sleep. And and they're much more complex than this, but to simplify it, think of deep sleep as your body recovery stage, where REM is more of your mind recovery stage. An old school train of thought and one that I definitely thought of is that you have a pretty consistent 90 minute sleep cycle, right? Where it goes stage one, stage two, drops to deep, drops to REM, and then start all over again where if you look at your nighttime data is most of your deep sleep is collected in the first half of your night of sleep. So if you're someone who struggles to fall asleep or your that first half is not very prioritized or you're interrupting that with alcohol, with anything else, your body's probably going to be missing out on deep sleep because that's when most of it is collected where the second half of sleep is where you collect most of your REM sleep. So for those who wake up and have a hard time staying asleep later in the night, You might be getting a killer amount of deep sleep, but your REM sleep might suck. And that's Mm. where it's important here. But think of your deep sleep as that body recovery stage. Your blood pressure drops, blood flow to your muscle tissue increases up to 70% of your total daily growth hormone is released during deep sleep that you release in a day. This is where you see muscle growth, tissue growth, and cell repair from injuries. Also when your brain flushes waste and you show these slower, longer brain waves. If you're woken up out of this stage, you, do you ever wake up and you feel like you're on a different planet? Like words don't make sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, where? That's if you're in a deep, deep sleep, and you get yanked out of it by an alarm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's why you feel like that. And that's one tool we're going to use later is that sunrise alarm clock, which naturally pulls your body into a lighter stage of sleep. So when your alarm goes off, you're getting woken up out of a light stage instead of a deep stage. But that'll be later. But deep sleep, you want to aim for about one to one and a half plus hours per night. And if you don't have a sleep tracker, if you're chronically under-recovered from the gym or you're constantly getting these small stress injuries, this might be a sign that you're lacking in deep sleep if you're not able to track it. Where REM sleep, this is the one that we talked about earlier too, that's more closely related specifically to all-cause mortality. But this happens more in the second half of your sleep. This is where memory consolidation, creativity, learning, and problem-solving occurs. And it plays a big role in re-energizing your mind and body for the next day. So if you feel like you got a good amount of sleep, but you're having a hard time focusing or remembering or any of these things, that might be a sign of you lacking in REM sleep. But attributes of REM sleep is your breathing rate and heart rate increases, not decreases. Temperature regulation is switched off. And this is kind of the creepy part. Motor neurons in the spinal cord are actively inhibited, making the body immobile. To stop you from acting out your dreams is why this is where dreams typically happen. But you're temporarily paralyzed. And this is where deep dreams tend to occur. And you want to aim for around 1.5 plus hours per night here. It creeps me out that it paralyzes your body. And I think this is where some people, I don't know, I haven't dug too deep into sleep paralysis. Have you ever struggled with that?
1: Oh my God, no, but it scares me. Like that is a scary, yeah.
0: Scares the crap, but I'm wondering if it's something to do with those motor neurons in your spinal cord that are maybe misfiring or not allowing you to move because that just sounds terrifying. Um, But we're going to improve and talk about how to improve each of those stages next. And I do want to start by this because here's where we're going to break into the four stages of your day and the tools to use to improve these. You don't have to do every single one of these tips to be successful. They all might help. But honestly, just based on your lifestyle, some are going to be more realistic than others. I think that's important. No no one lives in an ideal world where your schedule is completely open to change around these things. I think you probably learned this. I know I did when going to fix your sleep. It's impossible to to apply almost every single aspect of this. We're going to start with, I think, often the most overlooked part and where I want people to focus first. If they have especially a hard time falling asleep at night, because how many people, if they have a hard time falling asleep, they look at What can I do right before bed? What supplements can I take? Or what can I do to knock myself out? When really what's going to help you fall asleep the quickest. So this is one, going to help your ability to fall asleep, but to improve your REM sleep is how you start your day. What are you doing in the hours right when you wake up? Why this happens is this is essentially the first step of the day that is sinking that circadian rhythm, that 24 hour clock. That is the first step in this process. That essentially starts that timer and says, hey, in about 15 to 16 hours, we're going to start to wind down. We're going to start to get tired. So many people look over this aspect because it's not immediate. It's not right before this. And some of it might sound a little huberman in this one, but all of these are well-supported with a massive amount of research. And essentially what these are doing is these are naturally mimicking what happens to your body or what should be happening if your circadian rhythm is in flow. So we're going to try and naturally increase cortisol and adrenaline and naturally increase your core body temperature that helps synchronize these aspects of your day. And I say natural meaning not synthetic. So caffeine, for an example, synthetically will increase your adrenaline, your cortisol, all these things, but that's not going to help regulate this rhythm. Now, by far, and this one, this is the one that gets the most eye rolls, the biggest thing you can do. And every sleep expert will say the same thing. The biggest thing you can do to improve your overall sleep, but this aspect too, is have a consistent wake-up time, seven days a week. Meaning, try and find a one-hour rhythm where seven days a week, you are waking up within that one-hour period. So mm-hmm. for example, from 6:30 to 7:30, because that's what screws so many people up is the weekends, is they sleep in on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays till 9: 10 a.m, but then they'll wake up at five in the morning. But Monday how? through Friday.
1: I like, I've see, I've never understood that. Like if I have a consistent wake time, I, on the weekends, I've never, even if I want to, can't sleep in. I I feel like I'm like, can't not wake up at that time because my body's so primed from the week.
0: I'm with you. And, and that's the pros of if you stick to this for even just a few weeks, your body, it'll just naturally wake up. For example, mine is yeah. weekdays. I sleep until about five, th- sleep in till five 30 in the morning. And on the weekends, I'm up by six 30. Because oh. I have to get my morning workouts in. I'm actually experimenting by pushing that back by 45 minutes to better align with my chronotype after putting this podcast together. But find an hour that you can as closely get to. And if it's, if it's too tough, because I know so many people are like, that is impossible. I have a three-hour gap right now. Shorten it to two. Once that mm-hmm. feels normal, shorten it to one. But that is the one tool that it will honestly carry over to every aspect every day. So set a one-hour window and try and stick to it seven days a week or at least shorten that window. The mm-hmm. next tool. This is a big one. Avoid hitting the snooze button. And I have a funny story about this one, too. Right. But hitting the snooze button, essentially, you're getting more fragmented bouts of sleep in the morning and that can confuse your body's internal clock and can make it more difficult to fall asleep or get deep sleep the following night. If you're if you're Good just listening to Mariana alarms. shows, shut up.
1: I, I have to heart. set so many alarms if I'm waking up, if I'm not waking up in line with like like Take I'm a 7:38 o'clock riser. That's my time. If I have to wake yeah. up any time before 7, you I have to set eight alarms and hope that I get up.
0: Yeah. And like we've all kind of been there where you can't miss a flight or something like that. You'll set 20 freaking alarms. If you're one of those people that that's every morning, you got to realize again, you might be like, "Well, that helps me wake up in the morning." That's also what's starting that spiral downwards that's going to hurt you from falling asleep the next night hurt you from getting more deep sleep tonight afterwards. And I've got two tools. One of these is going to be in the Amazon list. This is one that we both use. I just learned today.
1: It's but helped a, so much. Yeah. A
0: sunrise alarm clock might be the most useful tool that I've added to my repertoire. Mm-hmm. Essentially what it yeah. is is let's say I wake up at 5:30 a.m. I set my sunrise alarm clock that's next to my bed for 530 a.m. And at 5 a.m, it slowly turns on to a very dim, 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 dim light. And over the next 30 minutes, It slowly starts to simulate a sunrise, getting brighter and brighter because your eyes, even though your eyes are closed, can still sense light while you sleep. So what that'll do is it'll slowly pull you, if you're in a deeper sleep, up to one of the lighter stages. So once 5.30 hits and your alarm goes off, you're waking up and you actually feel alert because you're not being dragged out of one of those deeper stages of sleep. That's honestly, Hmm. for me, the biggest game changer as far as tools. That's been added. And if you're someone, this is one trick I used to play on myself too before the alarm clock. Is if you're one of those people that just needs to do it, set yourself a little rule like this. I sleep in a colder room as well. So when I really struggle with getting out of bed, or I'd say I would, but I wouldn't, is I'll say, okay, once my first alarm clock goes off, I'm allowed to stay in bed, but the only rule is I have to completely take all my covers off. And it's uncomfortable as hell because it's freezing cold. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, I'm allowed to stay in bed, but that's the only rule. And that's what I gave myself. And what do you know, after 30 seconds, I'm like, this sucks. And I just get out of bed. I'm like, this is, and it just Mm. wakes me up and I'm good. But that's a huge one in the morning. The next one, Dr. Huberman, viewing direct sunlight. This is the single best external influence over your circadian clot. And it's not that much that you need. Five to maybe 10 minutes max. And that's even on a cloudy day. But there's research that shows not only supporting cortisol spikes in the morning, natural cortisol spikes in the morning. This is the cool part in research, looking over those with this was extended amounts of morning sunlight actually showed even a 20 to 25% decrease later in the day before you're going to bed in cortisol levels. So not only a larger spike in the morning when you want it, but a 20 to 25% reduction before bed, which if your mm-hmm. cortisol is still spiked over before bedtime, that's when it can become problematic. So that yeah. is five minutes on a sunny day, 10 on a cloudy day. And this is where I think a lot of people get confused. You can get an app on your phone. It's called Lux meter, or something like that. I know photographers use it. And you can point it at a light source, your camera, and it tells you how many Lux is what it's measuring, or how much light is coming from a source. Because synthetic lights, they might be able to work, and we'll include a tool here later, too. It's not as good as even a cloudy day because you're like, "How much sun am I really getting on a cloudy day?" If you go out and point your Lux meter up at a cloudy day, it'll still read about five to 10,000 Lux. Or even if you have an LED light like this bright one I have right here in my room, it might be under one to 2,000 or just several hundred even because it's so directed rather than dispersed like a cloud does. So even on a cloudy day, getting outside, getting direct sunlight and not getting in the way of a window, one thing is if you get up and the sun's not up, it's really early for whatever reason, or you just live in a part of the world. That you don't, ex- I that was like, not everyone lives in San Diego where you get 90% of the days.
1: When I was living in Iceland, oh my God, it was the hardest, hardest thing because there's barely any sunlight. I was there a time in the year where there's barely any sunlight and you wake up and it's still pitch black at 9.30 forget, in the morning. Went,
0: I always forget you go to, you went to, you lived in Iceland for a while. So yeah. Is that one of those spots where just according to where it is, latitudinally, where you're located, where it's like dark for 20 hours a day? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Uh,
1: five hours max of sunlight per day. Sunrise oh, is around 11 a.m. And it sets at three.
0: That hurts my heart to hear. It
1: was like insanity. It was insanity.
0: I'm literally a houseplant. I just need sunlight or else I'll be really yeah. sad. Um, but all those synthetic lights aren't as good as sunlight. That just is a setting where a lot of people find themselves in. Or if you have to wake up early or your shift work or whatever. Uh, what we included on the Amazon list as well is a bright 10,000 lux LED light where I know this is one that I used to have a while ago but I think it broke this was forever ago so not the one we included but even just putting it next to your desk in the morning or as you're waking up just being able to sit and look at it will really really help push your body synchronize that aspect of it Mm -hmm. so that's a huge one if you're not able to get out and get the sun right every single morning a huge tool I think it's only like 30 bucks now the last piece of this Trying to mimic essentially the last piece of where if your circadian rhythm was naturally aligned is warming up your core body temperature, and there's many ways to do this, but that's why for me, sunlight and this piece are non-negotiable for me in waking up. And there's two main ways to do this: is one, get your heart rate up. You have to warm up your core temperature. So this is a great time for a daily walk. I know a lot of people line it up where they're walking, so they're getting their heart rate up and they're viewing sunlight. So it's kind of a two bird one stone. What I do it's a great time to get your daily workout in but even if you can't going to jump rope for five minutes going on a quick you got to be kind of intentional about it you can't be too lazy in your pajamas Like, get your heart rate up that's that's a big goal or the other aspect is just some sort of cold water exposure I honestly don't even recommend an ice bath because one 95% of people don't have access to that and two it's a lot more miserable even if you just have a cold shower for one to three minutes that's all you need. One to three minutes. That's where I finish each of my workouts in the morning is a little cold shower. Even though that's cold on the outside, that heats up your internal temperature, increases your hormone cortisol, which is what you want. And it gives you that little adrenaline, noradrenaline, dopamine rush as well that helps with focus. But you don't, again, you don't need the cold water, but Can't something do to want. Warm-
1: oh, I, t- I wish it- I could do it. I know it wakes you up. Like I know it does. And it's like a good boost of Got adrenaline in the morning, but I hate being cold. So it's something I, re- I will never add into my yeah. like
0: ever. It's on, I, don't, it's, I don't know if I know as many things that are that challenging for such a short period of time where you know how good you're gonna feel afterwards, but it's still mm. so hard to get yourself to do it. Yeah. I, I just don't understand. But so but that's a good point too, is I like it and can manage it in like a shower. An ice bath would be tough because it's so much more cold. But if you don't do that, get your heart rate up. Go outside, get a little mm. jog, get a little if five minutes is all you need to warm up your core. Body temperature, and that's going to again mimic that natural rise that you would want to see in your circadian rhythm yeah. that day. I wanted—I
1: want to I wanna briefly mention too, for people who like really just are like, well, yeah, Tony, if you—if I just take off my blankets in the morning, I'll be cold, and I want to get up. But like, I, there's some people that physically can't, like, are like, but I can't get out of bed. Like, even if I get up, I'm getting back into bed. Like, I am so—I'm gonna fall back asleep. Like, I don't have the willpower or I I feel like I can't do it some people will be in that space I've totally been there before as well and get creative with how you're rewarding yourself with these things that are going to help with your morning routine so if it's waking up a little bit earlier if you feel like you want to give yourself that time to scroll on your phone even like this is not a first recommendation this is a last resort if you are really 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 struggling set a timer give yourself five minutes of screen time okay i had that time now i'm gonna get up or if you are reading a really good book okay i'm gonna take my book on a walk this morning that's gonna motivate me to get out of bed or if you live in a near city and you really like the smoothie place okay i'm gonna get up go for a walk and reward myself with a smoothie like really get creative with just hacking your brain into doing something that is almost like a guilty pleasure that yeah. you typically won't allow yourself to do because you're running way too late and you slept in so kind of getting creative with how you hack that really honestly even
0: love the the phone time like the social media because yeah. that's one thing that people are like avoid avoid and avoid which is a big point mm-hmm. because it, it does kind of cause an implication but yeah it's like what's the trade-off if you're waking up early if you're not hitting snooze and you're giving yourself a few minutes of this small little thing that might hold you back but you're getting this massive benefit by waking up earlier Mm -hmm. or more in line with your chronotype or helping you get out of bed hell yeah again you don't you can't live an ideal perfect life where everything's perfect all the time that's a perfect example of areas where it's okay to kind of pull away and not do the optimal thing to improve the bigger rock the bigger mover Mm -hmm. great point so those are the aspects of your morning, which I challenge you to start there because I, I'm guessing 90% of people who are struggling with their sleep right now haven't even visited the thought of changing their morning routine in that aspect. Now on to the next phase. So there's, th- there's four critical points. That is critical point one. Point number two is what you can do or honestly not do in the afternoon hours. This is when your body is preparing to fall asleep and to stay asleep. So specifically working here, most of these things are what you're going to do to improve deep sleep. So not as much REM, but deep sleep and how well you can stay asleep during the night. So these are the problems that are being addressed more by these aspects middle of the day. The first one, this is a question that popped up a lot on the Q and A that we posted is naps. What about naps? Mm -hmm. Are they the same quality of sleep? Do they count for sleep? What's the deal with naps and naps? And there's kind of this Sorry to play, like sitting on the freaking fence. They're they're neither good nor bad. The context matters, right? It's totally fine to sleep in the afternoon to catch up on sleep, but don't nap so late in the day or so long where it interferes with your body's ability to fall asleep later. I I used to be a big, this used to be a problem area for me where I'd take a little nap, maybe even sometimes longer in the afternoons. And I would notice I was still wired at like nine, 10 o'clock. I'm like, why do I have so much energy? I'm like, oh because I did a little reset at 3 or 4 p.m. That might be why. Mm-hmm. The best case scenario for a nap is the shorter is generally the better. You get 20 to 30 minute power nap so you're not falling into the deeper stages because you typically take about 20, 30 minutes until you fall. You can end up waking refreshed. If you have the flexibility in your day to take a 90 minute nap, this is where most experts recommend not going or exceeding 90 minutes because that's typically the length of about one sleep cycle. And any more than that, you typically end up groggier and it just, it, you almost can't escape it interfering with sleep the next night. Another really good option, and this is something I typically do, is using either NSDR or some kind of breathwork meditation for 10, 15 minutes. In the afternoon, you could use Headspace, the Reverie app, something with breathwork where it's, it's almost putting your brain in those slow waves that you get during sleep, but not putting your body to sleep. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Have you ever been a napper?
1: Never. I've never been a napper. I've always wanted to be because I really feel I would say four or five p.m. I feel dead. Like I get really Mm -hmm. tired and I've always wished that I could just take a quick little power nap. But I just I, I don't usually when we're not filming, I will give myself time in the afternoon, like 15 to 20 minutes to do something that is just calming, whether I do a little quick yoga or I even just read i always do something that just i feel like i can relax for just a second replenish my energy and then get back into my day which is yeah. a privilege for sure i know a lot of people can't do that
0: they're like nurses listening here it's like i am standing I know, for I, straight. I, <laughs> but but same thing if you again that's if you have the flexibility if you're able to do those sort of things massive prop massive bonus you don't need naps whatsoever and a lot of times they can interfere with later in the day Now, the next Mm -hmm. big piece, and this is usually the biggest thing, so not things that you can do at this time, but things that you can stop doing is having a cutoff time for certain stimulants. More specifically, caffeine, nicotine, and ADHD medications like Adderall, Ritalin, Vyvanse, those amphetamine substances. Caffeine is a little bit tricky because everyone's heard of, and I think we've talked about this, we did an entire episode on caffeine. Most newer research is showing that the half-life of caffeine is between about five and six hours, half-life meaning how quickly it is metabolized and excreted from your body. So if I have 100 milligrams of caffeine in a coffee at noon, five to six hours later, there will still be 50 milligrams of caffeine circulating in my body. So at 5 or 6 p.m., and then another half-life there, that would mean there's still 25 milligrams of caffeine in my body at 11 to 12 p.m., and that's where it can become an issue. There's also a wide range here because in the papers, there's a huge wide variance. Five to six is the average. Some people as little as three to four hours, some people up to 12 hours as their half-life. So this is where you paying attention to your response is super important. If you're not, you're like, hey, I stopped cutting it out of my life eight hours before bed. You might need before that if you still can't fall asleep, right? Pay attention. And the aspect too, because I've, I've met some people. So I, I do not know how they do it. They could have a monster energy drink at 10 PM and be out by 11. I don't know how they do it. I don't.
1: Yeah. I'm not that.
0: No, I, I absolutely can't. But that's an important note. You might be like, hell yeah, that's me. Rock on. Just because you can fall asleep with that caffeine doesn't mean it's not interrupting your sleep. And that caffeine can really interfere with your body's ability to fall into the deeper and REM stages of sleep because it's going to keep your heart rate elevated. So mm-hmm. generally a good rule of thumb is stopping caffeine intake about eight to 12 hours before you plan on going to bed. For example, I have to stop any stimulant use by 11 a.m., right? So I have to stop myself from having a cup of coffee, anything from an afternoon dip before 11, or that's when I start to notice it bleed into my bedtime. Do you have a hard cutoff time for yourself or do you just kind of say no afternoons? 2
1: p.m. Afternoon, 2 p.m. Like is like no caffeine. I feel the best I've realized now, one of a big adjustment I made is not having coffee first thing in the morning. And again, this has been a caffeine. Like I was definitely addicted to caffeine when I was in grad school and coming off of that was, was hard. Um, But now I've noticed no caffeine in the morning. Absolutely not. My crash, my anxiety is so much worse when I have it first thing upon waking. I'm like 11 o'clock is typically my sweet spot. I find having caffeine at 11 is the best and then nothing after. But yeah, that's 2 p.m. is typically I won't go past it
0: yeah and, and experimenting to find out when that is for you that's mine used to be 2 p.m and i always was like why the hell can i fall asleep oh yeah. dumbass maybe it's because but you go to bed people- early
1: what time do you usually yeah go to
0: bed? i also i'm usually in bed at like don't call me in there someone's gonna make fun of me on this stupid podcast mm-hmm. i'm usually in bed at like eight forty-five, and i'll either read or have a show on or do something like that yeah. until about nine thirty. i usually end up falling asleep because i try and be up mm-hmm. by 5 30. Um, yeah. So that's a big point too. I cut off at 11 because I also am not, if I stayed up to 11, I could probably handle like one o'clock, two o'clock. Yeah. And I like stay that. up until
1: typically, like I usually fall asleep by 11. So it makes sense. Perfect.
0: Now, one that I don't know if a lot of our listeners are going to relate to, I know you and I don't, but nicotine use, which is very common in our generation. Really most generations, nicotine use is not uncommon and not only having a cutoff time, but here's the big problems that tend to come up with nicotine. Is nicotine over, if you just are a regular user, even if you cut off or not, it usually leads to more fragmented sleep. So either more constant wake-ups, even if they're just a minute or two, but that also impairs your body from falling into deeper stages of sleep, especially REM sleep. And that's usually just because your body is going through withdrawals of nicotine because you're going seven to nine hours, ideally, without it. So your body is going through these withdrawals, which might cause you to jolt awake or wake up. And there's even potential for insomnia, which is recognized quite a bit with nicotine users. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, should you have a cutoff time? It's easy for me to say, because I'm not a nicotine user, to work your hardest to cut that out, because I know you've heard that a million times. But yeah, this is another aspect where that is pulling away from your health.
1: First of all, don't do it. But realistically, how can you find ways to do it less or like? This is actually funny. My friend just texted me two days ago. She quit vaping for like the fifth time, quit vaping, but actually has been consistent for like three months. Go her if you're listening to this. I won't say your name. Oh, damn. But she was like, you know, I, I used to tell myself that the reason why I couldn't sleep and the reason why I couldn't either eat at all and couldn't like put on any muscle. She's like the second I was consistent for two weeks of no, no vaping. Had my appetite back. I was sleeping. I've I've put on this amount of muscle mass. Like it's been insane. Like three months. Just, it's just you hear it all. And again, this is coming from her. So I've never done this. Mm-hmm. She's like, you hear it all the time. All of the things that it's doing to your body, how it's affecting you, but you just cannot believe it. But how quickly it comes back if you're consistent. How quickly yeah. you get those benefits back. And again, it's like it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. It's if you've been vaping or smoking for quite some time.
0: We might, uh, if, if we c- can remember. I know there's some resources. I know Huberman has done an entire episode with another expert on nicotine too, with actual tools on how to stop using it. Another big aspect, if that's you. Last piece of this one is ADHD medications, which I thought was worth mentioning because they are more prevalent today, but especially the amphetamine or stimulant medications like Adderall, Ritalin, Vivan. And the only piece to add here is that stimulant medications, they change or can alter your sleep architecture or the changes in the distribution and quality of different stages of sleep, notably reducing REM sleep the largest. So obviously the recommendation would be just like anything else, having a a certain cutoff time and then working with your healthcare provider be huge to experiment. Or if it's something that you really do notice in in impacting your sleep, let them know because they work Mm -hmm. with these people so they can give you solutions, offering different pages that we can't really offer. But it is something that, A lot of people, I think it interrupts their sleep and they don't think to address it.
1: When I first, and so I take ADHD meds um, and more so just as needed now. But my old psychiatrist, I remember in college when I first like started taking them more consistently, I was like, my sleep, I can't sleep at all. And his, this is my old psychiatrist, his first response was to prescribe me Xanax to take at night so that I could fall asleep. It's like, well, you have anxiety. Mind you, I'm on antidepressants and my anxiety medication. He's like, well, you have anxiety, so I can prescribe you this and it will make you fall asleep. I'm like, so you want to sedate? You want to sedate me? No, I want to be able to take as little of this as possible and still be able to function. So I got to be a little, psychiatrist. That is I a I take little as fun. little as possible. It's just Instead like, like hey, maybe we, we
0: should I'm like, pull back on the thing causing it. Let's just yeah, do something else what? on top of it. Like I'm, like,
1: I'm so happy I was of the right mind to be like, this is wrong. So many people in college abuse Adderall and you don't really think twice about it. It's like, oh, this is sick. I get more Adderall. Like. I was always scared of Adderall. I still am. Like, it still scares me because I don't ever want to rely on it. But it's, 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 I just thought that was so crazy that that was the response. I'm like, no wonder why, like, people are
0: yeah, always just trying to only find something kinda... that
1: just puts them, knocks them out. <laughs> like
0: Yeah, it just de- digs the pattern even deeper. Now, that is the second key moment. Now, these are the next two that, I mean, they're all honestly equally important. But this one is where I think most people focus. But honestly, I think there's a lot of pieces here and tools to use that people aren't taking advantage of. And that is what to do when winding down your day, preparing for bed. So we went over the best ways to start your day, what you can do during the day. And now it's what do we do when we're winding down? And this is going to improve all aspects of sleep. So REM sleep and deep sleep, but more importantly, falling asleep, falling asleep. And this comes into the same rhythm as what we do to start our day biggest thing you can do, and I know people usually overlook this, but that's also because it's one of the most challenging aspects to control is having a consistent bedtime seven times a week, or at least nail down that one hour window. For me, usually again, between 9.30 and 10.30. So on the weekends, I'm a night owl, 10.30. And some nights you're obviously going to go past that. I'm not perfect whatsoever, but I do notice the more days I'm able to stick to that, the better my overall sleep energy fatigue through the week is. So that's going to be the biggest first one. The second one, and this is probably the most recent change that I've been making is not working too late or too close to bedtime. And again, this is something where if you have the flexibility to do this with your lifestyle, great. I work for myself, so I'm able to cut that off, but it can also be easy for me to pull in and I used to work later in the night, seven, even eight o'clock sometimes. And I would wonder why my brain was just going a thousand miles per hour, even though I was drained, exhausted going up to bedtime. And we've talked about the different pieces of your nervous system before, but I was in more of a fight or flight. I had shallow breath. My heart rate was up. I was locked into the computer. I was in that fight or flight state until 7, 8 p.m. And I just expected my body to be ready for rest and digest in an hour or two Mm -hmm. past that. And that was the biggest More recent change that I have made is having a hard cutoff time at work for five o'clock. And that was hard because I was like, I'm leaving stuff on the table. You probably can relate to this one, too. It's hard to get yourself to step away. But my God, the difference did it make?
1: Honestly, especially with school. So in undergrad and I I was pre-med in undergrad, like I was taking a lot of courses, but people used to always make fun of me for my bedtime. And people would always be like, I'm going to stay late all night studying. First of all, I didn't procrastinate. Like, so that was a huge Mm -hmm. thing, like spacing out my studying. So I never had to put myself in a position where I had to cram because one, I made the sacrifices of not having a social life. So consider that. But my sleep was so, so, so important. This is undergrad, mind you. It was like, I need to get to bed. I need to make sure I have my hours because that's how I'm going to do well in school or else I'm not going to be able to survive. Grad school, a whole different story. I was also working. A lot and I just simply didn't have the hours. It was so much harder. And I had to sacrifice my sleep time, but I felt it trickle into how I was able to pay attention and focus and perform within my classes. So it really the environment that you're in is so influences it so much. But just even having it in the back of your mind, like even when I was in grad school in that state, I was like, I can't keep doing this forever. Something has to change. Like I have to change something. Change something when I was out of grad school. But
0: Absolutely. It, but it, you don't tough, realize until after tough. sometimes how hard it is and then how much of a difference it makes because you don't see an immediate impact the next day or that yeah. night of sleep. It takes a consistent few weeks to really start to notice what changes happen. And I know this is a tool that I use with a lot of my clients and I even use for the longest time too, is even I do it if I get off at around five o'clock, but if I catch myself working later, because again, that happens sometimes where some things just pull you later to six, six thirty. Mm-hmm. The first thing I do before I might go run out to dinner, go do anything with a friend, might sit, whatever it is, before I make my own dinner, I'll take five to 10 minutes and I will just go in my room, make it dark. And I'll just do the box 4884, just deep, slow breathing method. We've talked about how breath and especially slow breath work is one of the only things that can instantly influence your HRV and improve it in that short of a period mm-hmm. of time. So essentially switching yourself almost from that, fight or flight to rest and digest peace yeah. to kind of say, Hey, yeah. before I go into my evening to get things going, I'm just making this small switch. And that helped a lot. And it's usually helped a lot of my clients as well. So that's a tool I think if you use, even if you work later and can't change it, that could be a thing. Next big piece, avoid certain compounds, alcohol, marijuana, stimulants, what we've covered a lot before. All of these may help sedate you quicker, not stimulants, but alcohol and marijuana, but they are really blunting your body's ability to fall into deeper stages of sleep and REM. That's one thing I didn't notice how much of a difference it made until I got my aura ring. I will have one cocktail. That sounds lame, but just because I like a good cocktail, right? I used to bartend. I really appreciate someone Mm -hmm. who goes together. So if I had one cocktail on a Thursday night with dinner at like 630, my sleep score would tank. I would notice I get nearly no REM sleep. I was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. I can't have one drink. do this and it's that trade-off where it's like is sleep going to get in the way or is you know alcohol get in the way a little bit you can have it but know what you're going to be doing the next two big pieces and this is going to be something that i don't think people think of is one trying to avoid large meals within two to three hours of bedtime and this is going to vary person to person some people will be fine i am one person who can't and that's one thing again i notice on my ring your digestion process requires energy right? We talk about this in the TDEE or what makes up your total metabolism. Your digestion takes up about 10% of your overall metabolic rate. It requires energy. So it's going to keep your heart rate up while you sleep. And that's one thing that you notice tracking is your heart rate arc, which should kind of look like a nice little smile. If you have a large meal right before bed, a lot of the time, it will stay elevated until midnight, one o'clock, which stops your body Mm -hmm. from falling into deeper stages until it finally starts to dip. Later once your digestion is over, and I know some people who can have a large meal right before bed and be fine, but that could be you as well.
1: When I used to waitress, I mean I, it was I couldn't avoid it. I had to eat dinner. My eating yeah. schedule was so messed up. I'd go into to work at four, get home at like 11, 30, 12, and need to eat. I wouldn't need to eat. I'd be so hungry. so it, it just I wouldn't feel great going to bed, but I would also be so tired, like so I don't know if I was getting that rem sleep. I'd feel like I was just like passing out and doing it all over mm-hmm. again. But yeah,
0: yeah. So that's why. And again, it can sometimes it can be unavoidable. That's a big mm-hmm. one if you can, and a lot of increase in especially deep sleep for that one. Uh, last few pieces. This is one that most people don't think of, and one question I don't struggle with this that much, but a question that popped up way more frequently than I thought is people having a hard time not going to the bathroom two to three times going pee. This is me.
1: This is me. You wake, this do you is do me. that? Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I wake up at least twice. No, I would say always once. I always wake up once in the middle of the night to go pee. Always. Wow. Used to well, wake that's, up twice. Doesn't happen often anymore.
0: That's a lot of people. Like a lot in the Q&A, that was every 10th question was someone saying, I can't stop getting up to pee. And just know, first, yeah. like, first off, that's completely normal. Like, that's a mm-hmm. long time to go without going pee. Completely normal. And it's really only an issue if you find yourself not being able to fall back asleep. If you can just get up, go pee, yeah. and fall back asleep. Boom. You're out. That's not an issue that i think you really need to worry about but i think a couple things is if you are now up and you're up and it takes you 20 30 40 plus minutes to fall back asleep is where it can really negatively impact your sleep and there's two aspects of this i think one and this is what i think when i would ever do it if i do wake up to pee try 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 your best and we're going to talk about this next to not turn on lights to get you there and i've oh, fallen yeah, no. over things i've hit things in the night before trying to do this but if I flip the overhead night switch on when I'm going, even if it's for 30 seconds to go pee, that's what turns my brain on. I'm like, oh, I'm
1: i up I like now. stay asleep. I've never, I've, even if I'm waking up twice, like two, three times, like I'm still, I'm half asleep and I roll back onto bed and I'm like yeah. out cold. I, I don't turn time any time lights on. I fell on. asleep
0: on the toilet because, okay. And this is maybe TMI because I'm a dude. But if it's, if it's at night, it's pitch black. I sit down yeah. to pee so I don't yeah. miss <laughs> and pee everywhere. So I sit down to pee <laughs> and I'll sit down with my elbows on my knees. And I just remember I don't, it was probably five or 10 seconds, but I remember like jolting and I was like asleep, sitting on the toilet in the pitch black. I'm like, this is the, I was dying about it, but so that's funny. That's a big piece. But if you're someone who's, who has to wake up multiple, multiple times a night, have a liquid cutoff time two to three hours before bedtime. Because a lot of people, and it's a tough one.
1: That's my problem. I but know if it. If you can
0: start to implement or limit any liquid intake later at night, see and just test it on yourself. Maybe it helps. Maybe it doesn't. That's a big one.
1: Water tastes better at night. I'm convinced like I got some days and it's usually when I don't drink enough throughout the day, but I will drink like three full of one full of things of this after dinner and I am just guzzling it because I'm so hydrated and then I'm yeah. like, shoot, like and that, I shouldn't uh, that have done that.
0: A great point though. Like, if you're just working hard and you don't drink through the day yeah, and you're dehydrated, you're going to be thirsty at night. Maybe try mm-hmm. hydrating <laughs> through the day more and then cutting yeah. it off after dinner time. That's a good one now the last two pieces one of them is gonna be talking about light the next one is what i think a lot of people have been waiting for is the newest up-to-date research on supplements but lights is a big deal and i don't want this to come off contradicting because i know that we talked about how much natural light and how you need a ton of light in the morning to help align that cortisol spike to help align your morning routine to wake up and why smaller synthetic lights don't really do the trick at nighttime. Very small amounts of light can make a difference. And the reason is it's nothing to do with cortisol at nighttime, but it's everything to do with melatonin production and bright light, more specifically, overhead lights essentially blunt your body from producing melatonin on its own, which should be happening the two to three hours leading up to bedtime. And this is one that, again, in the last year, I've really changed. And it feels weird because you feel like you're walking around kind of in the dark. But if you can, dim your lights and if you can't dim your lights i added this in the amazon list as well is dimmable light bulbs plugs and switches that you can put Mm -hmm. in your house i think it's well worth it or even just simply switching from overhead lights to lights that are below eye level so lamps things down here if you could just switch it from there that makes a huge difference and i think this is a, a big one that i know some people say avoid your phone or tv before bed which yes does have light yeah, But if you look at the average overhead light in your house and you point that lux camera at it, anywhere from 300 to 1,000 lux is what that provides. If your phone is on a lower light setting, so if you just dim it a little bit, you're producing anywhere from 25 to 50 lux, so barely anything. So I would not stress if you're one of those people who's like, I just love scrolling TikTok before bed. I do. I love it. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not going to impact nearly as much as if you can actually just dim or turn off overhead lights.
1: I don't know as how you people, can. I've always like bright lighting overstimulates me. So I've always been huh. a lamp, a lamp gal, like always low light. I don't know. Like I, I hate it. The first thing I do after I'm done cooking dinner is I turn off the bright lights. I'm like, get these off. I hate them. Yes. Yeah,
0: it's a big but deal. And that's where we put those tools in the sleep kit as well. If you're able to do I, it.
1: One thing I want to talk about real quick, just with regarding phones, not light specifically, yeah. but. And I don't know if you're going to bring it up, but before we go into supplements, is this concept of revenge bedtime cr- procrastination? So mm-hmm. it's when you will no, it's actually I, the, I it's like actually it. The, the name thing.
0: just made me ch- crinkle. Cr- I I'll, I'll, love that it has past. a name.
1: When when my therapist told me about it, because it's like actually something people str- and you also see it in a lot of people with with depression, anxiety, OCD. But mm-hmm. it's this idea that you want to stay up late, even when you're tired, you stay up late doing something that you can't do during the day. So. You have all these responsibilities during the day, but at night, no one needs you. You don't have any responsibilities. The middle of the night, you can scroll on social media. You could stare at your phone. You could play video games. You could do all of those things. Nobody needs you, but you're tired. You want to go to bed, but you feel you don't. Like doom scrolling is a thing. And some people mm. actually like, it's not just scrolling before bed. It's I've been scrolling for five hours or I've I've been playing video games for six hours. I'm, I'm so tired, but I'm a... I don't want the morning to come. That's kind of like how it feels. I don't want the morning to come. I don't have responsibilities. Oh,
0: Um, makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And that's something I used to really struggle with and didn't know I struggled with it and was trying to implement so many things in my bedtime routine. And I didn't understand that, like, I needed to get to the root of why I was avoiding going to bed because I was avoiding going to bed because I didn't want to wake up in the morning. Mm. I didn't want to have to do all of these things. So I wanted to extend the time I had to myself. That's revenge bedtime procrastination if that's if that kind of feels like you, I want you to think about these steps but I also want to think want you to think about what it is you are avoiding why why don't you want to wake up in the morning? Why don't you want to do all of these things in your day like what is making you so anxious that you feel like you need to? Dive into your into your phone and avoid all of the responsibilities and have that you time. Are you giving yourself that you time at all during the day? Are you unsatisfied with your day to day? Like really think about that. And also next thing, if the doom scrolling is a real problem, like you are staying up till three four a.m. I know there's people that do it, yeah, and you feel like you literally can't stop even though you want to. Get on your iPhone. I don't know about Android, but you can set your screen time. Yes. But you could put a password on it. So I'm not just saying screen time and then you could just hit ignore, which, you know, it doesn't help. People are probably listening. It's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll just ignore it. But you could set a password for it. If you live with someone, someone you trust, have someone you trust set that password so you can't override it. That is single handedly for the revenge bedtime procrastination piece. The best thing I had done, I think, in the past few years for my overall sleep quality, health, everything, getting to bed like mental health because you can't do anything you can't get into your apps you can't you have your screen time and then that's that you you can set a downtime so it's like oh well after 10 you can't go on any of your social media and you can't go on it until eight in the morning like it is so helpful so i just wanted to make that note because but yeah i just want to talk about it
0: i remember when you first brought that up because that was my problem is i wouldn't even realize i was doing it yeah, And I would just be on Instagram like, wait a second, how did I get here? I didn't choose to be here, like mm-hmm. consciously. And that little pause would really help me. And then you told me the password thing. and I'm like, how helpful. I bet you like went to pick up your phone to do it like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. But it cracks me. It cracked me up at first. But I'm like, how freaking useful is that? If, some, if you is... don't even know the passcode yeah. to get in.
1: And it allowed me to really hone in on, okay, well, now I have nothing else to do. So let me set up my bedtime routine. Like might as well go to sleep. This is weird. Like. I yeah. have nothing and you I realize how much I'm reaching for my phone and it was always so unconscious but became conscious because I'm like well, what am I reaching like what am I reaching for it for I have nothing to do yeah and it's kind of eye-opening and pretty shocking
0: it could help I think that could help a lot of people yeah if I ever get really anxious in life it's usually because of that and like yeah. that usually helps so that's something I'll use intermittently but that's but again if you're someone who's not doom scrolling it don't I wouldn't stress about the light coming in from your phone or yeah your, TV. It's so little compared to everything else. Now let's talk about some supplements real quick before we finish off this episode by setting up the perfect sleep setting, the fourth major key point during the day. Now I took these supplements and I, I can't, I don't care how many times I say this. Some people aren't going to listen. This is the by far smallest piece of the entire puzzle by 100. Yeah. Okay. Like a lot of people are just gonna be like, give me that whatever supplement's going to help. None of these will do a fraction of what all the other pieces put together did. Now, where I pulled all of these is, and just to give everyone a reference, this is the most up-to-date research provided by an in-depth sleep analysis by examine.com, which is a tool we use all the time on this show. It's a free tool. I know we have the premium version of it and our premium members get a discount to the premium, but it's even a free tool to use for any sort of supplement review, things like this. Like I think the review guide technically have to be a part of their premium, but if you have questions about creatine, for example, you type in creatine. It will give you a complete research breakdown of here is every study that's been done on creatine, the quality of the study, the effect size, if it was positive or negative, what exactly they were assessing. It's wonderful for finding yeah. real evidence on this. So this is their, one of their awesome in-depth sleep analysis guides from examine.com. Now, melatonin's the most sold by far, by a million, but the, melatonin's a big one. But like we talked about in the beginning, that meta-analysis doesn't seem to have that large of an effect for most people, but it can be used intermittently. I know we were talking about this before. I typically will use it for pretty much just jet lag or in your situation too, where if there's for some reason, a stretch of nights that I'm really struggling sleeping and I need to be in bed a certain time, I will use it and I will notice a large impact where it helps me Mm -hmm. really fall and stay asleep. It may or may not help you. That's a big one. But one thing to be careful of, in my opinion, is melatonin, we have to remember, Is a hormone produced by your body. So you're ingesting a synthetic hormone. And here's the one thing that I think is a little red flag, which I'm curious to see research about this in the future. Your body produces, and this is your pineal gland in your brain, 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams of melatonin per night. 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams. The average supplement has between 1 and 10 milligrams of melatonin. So your body might produce. 0.1 in an entire night's sleep. And that supplement you just took might have 10. 10. So 100x, right? This is a super physiological dose of a hormone that you're taking. And this is one that we covered. I forget which episode in in supplements. This is one of the most mislabeled and least regulated supplements in the industry, where when you third party test the most common melatonin supplements, the actual amount of melatonin in the product range from having anywhere from 83% less than what was on the package to 473% more than what was listed on the package. Meaning if it says 10, that doesn't mean you're getting 10. That means you could be getting as little as two to three milligrams or as much as 40 to 50 milligrams of melatonin. So this is the red flag that I raise, And that's where I'm like, it, it might be helpful in certain aspects. But I certainly do not think it's something that you should be relying on every single night. Regularly. No, yeah. that's, that's it's something that's, oh, it's a little too sketchy right now.
1: That's what worries me with kids. Like parents are giving, again, not a parent, never will be. Uh, so I'm not yeah. judging. But it's, it is a, a worry to me that there are parents giving kids melatonin large doses every single night, especially as you're developing, because it does yeah. interfere over time with your body's natural melatonin production. And it's why so many people will find like, I, melatonin doesn't do anything for me anymore. Or it's not that it doesn't do anything, but now you, you really notice when you don't take it because you're yeah. abusing, it, it can be like habitful. people take 20 milligrams, like they'll take, a t- they'll take two 10 milligram gummies. I'm like, ooh, that's, that makes me nervous.
0: Yeah, it, it can be habit forming and you can build a yeah. tolerance to it and you can become reliant on it. I think that's, that's a little dangerous. And Mm -hmm. yeah, same thing with the kids where it's like, if you're a parent, you're like, well, what the am I supposed to do? I would just say to explore different options would be a good. Yeah, I'm not the person. It's worth exploring. But again, those are those are the reasons why we say that. But yeah, we Mm -hmm. do not have kids. So it's easier for us to say that. Now, the next list, and this is actually kind of surprised me because this is updated recently by examine with all the current research. There is actually a pretty large amount of unproven supplements where evidence is just too preliminary to declare whether or not they are effective that doesn't mean they don't work but on that list included magnesium which is a very common one and there's an asterisk next to this one that i wanted to relate magnesium the the why it's under the unproven category is it looks like it doesn't have an immediate impact meaning if you take it 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime it seems to be no different than if you're getting it earlier in the day because lacking magnesium in your diet can lead to insomnia sleep issues that's well known but it doesn't seem like taking it before bed is any better than just getting your magnesium throughout the rest of your day. So it's a very powerful supplement overall why we recommend it, but it's not like taking it before bed will help in any way is what it seems like according to the research. But other things like glycine, tryptophan, valerian root, these are those unproven where there's just not a lot of human data on it now. Now, the three big ones that examine has found the most consistent human evidence in, and these surprise me because two of these I had never even really heard of for this use. And I want to put a big asterisk here. These are not going to make you sleepy. Okay. These supplements are in humans proven to be pretty good at reducing anxiety and promoting calmness. That's what these are really good at. So it puts you in a calmer state so you can fall asleep more natural and easy. So this is someone who, like you were talking about in the beginning, if your brain is racing and you experience anxiety the night before bed, this is when you would use these supplements. The first one, one that you may or may not have heard of, is Selexan. I hear this is lavender oil. So Selexan or lavender oil, this is going to decrease anxiety and just improve overall calmness and sleep quality in the human data. Anywhere from 80 to 160 milligrams, about 30 to 45 minutes before bed is when you would take this. Not the same thing, and this is an important note, as aromatherapy. Do you, have you ever used yeah. essential oils there? Yeah. Aromatherapy, which can be super helpful, and we actually included it in that toolkit on Amazon because it can be helpful, but the results just aren't consistently effective. You're actually orally ingesting selexan or lavender oil. The next one is called Melissa Officinalis, right? How It's lemon balm. Is, that's the proper name is Melissa Officinalis, well, but it's yeah. lemon balm. And this one, actually, I was even more curious. And I'm going to be digging a lot deeper into this significantly improves calmness and decreases anxiety. And this is one that you would take about 1200 to 3000 milligrams, about 30 to 60 minutes before bed. And the final one, and I do want to put my own side note on this is ashwagandha, ashwagandha, which has a pretty decent amount of human evidence now. But why is because it decreases cortisol production, which again is a good thing to have in the morning, not the best thing to have when you're falling asleep. And the dosage is between 250 and 600 milligrams per day, generally split between two doses, one in the morning and one in the evening. Now, I know we've talked about ashwagandha, I think more in the premium, but I don't know if we've talked about it too much on the show. This is one red flag that I want to raise against it, is it is very good at suppressing cortisol. But as we learned earlier, cortisol plays a very important function and your body needs it and uses it. I'm not the biggest fan of taking a supplement that is constantly 24-7 suppressing a hormone in your body because every hormone you need. So ashwagandha personally is one that I would recommend more during separate or more stressful seasons you're going through. So if you're going through a move or a work change or something like that, where your stress is on 10, yes, but and a lot of other professionals too also agree with this line of thought is not to be something that you just take daily year round. Yeah, absolutely. that would be a big to. one there. And that rounds out really the three most effective supplements when wait. it comes to this.
1: I'm shocked that you didn't you didn't include my favorite, my number one supplement that I recommend for sleep. You didn't include it. And what? I'm really shocked that you didn't. What? Like, literally, if I recommend one supplement for sleep that you could take regularly, like safely, you didn't include it. And I'm oh, really shocked that you didn't.
0: I kind of want to guess. Guess. Is it L-theanine?
1: Yeah. Yeah, L-theanine. I'm actually that's a big like fan of, of L-theanine too. Yeah. yeah well, that's what and, that was
0: a, a one that I we've recommended before. I think both of mm-hmm, us on this podcast. I recommend and it I,
1: often. Yeah.
0: I like it too so, for some in the in the examine research roundup, they downgraded L-theanine from being an effective one to a lower tier in okay. that one. I think which, that
1: makes sense. So, I feel like explain it. so L-theanine what it really does and what it's it's can help promote a relaxed state without causing drowsiness. Yes. So, it's not usually really advertised as like the a main sleep supplement. But for specific people, if you do struggle with calming down mm-hmm. before bed, you feel a little bit anxious, kind of can't turn off your brain, it affects your brain activity by promoting increased alpha waves, a pattern of brain activity associated with a more relaxed state. So you can take L-theanine any time of the day because it doesn't have that sedative yeah. effect. So it can be really a natural like aid for promoting relaxation, helping reduce anxiety. That's where I find L-theanine can be really helpful for getting more into that relaxed state before bed. Not so much as being something that's going to really have a huge impact on your overall sleep quality, but something that if you really struggle with that piece, relaxation before bed, getting into bed, falling asleep. Yeah. Because I, I even,
0: I take it a lot of the days of the week, more in the morning time, or if I take caffeine, I usually pair mm-hmm. it with it, which is a common use. Yeah. But the only reason I took it out is because they downgraded it. And I think it is because of that sleepiness it, and sleep quality impact. But that, again, yeah. could line up equally as well. Because it is one that actually has a lot of consistent research of putting you in a calmer state. Like actually yeah. being one of the things yeah. that works with reducing
1: mm-hmm. anxiety.
0: So that's one that's well worth testing out as well. In, but again,
1: indirect sleep aid is typically what I would like
0: call Yes. It. And again, and I want to round this up because that's all really exciting news. You might be like, oh, my God, I'm going to take this. Don't even freaking think about it. <laughs> I did put these on our Amazon list, which again, there's zero connection affiliate in the way we're taking $0 from this.
1: We don't do have not, an am- Amazon storefront?
0: No, I don't. I do not. Everyone messages me. Why am I am like I'd rather? I don't know. It's weird. But, 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 but don't even think about buying these supplements if you haven't done the majority of the things that we've talked leading up to this point. Yeah. Right? if if you're having caffeine before bed, if you are eating a big meal, if, if all those other pieces aren't in place, don't even freak out. Just, just know that I'll be upset with you. I won't be mm-hmm. mad. I'll be disappointed. Now, the final piece of the puzzle here, we've talked about the three main key factors. The fourth one is one that you're not even conscious for to round this one up. And that is your sleep setting or what to do during sleep, where you're sleeping. And this can be challenging because again, not everyone has the same flexibility in their lifestyle to set up and make these changes depending on where you live income quality so many different things that go into this but this is going to improve your ability to overall stay asleep and get restful deep and recovered rem sleep the sleep setting so the stuff that you're doing while you're asleep and there's a couple big factors one if you're able to sleeping in a cooler temperature and again not everyone can thrive like this but more people and this is more notice even when you are asleep so not just falling asleep but you tend to get more deep and REM sleep in cooler temperature ideally 65 degrees up to 68 degrees i sleep at
1: 70 that's like my ideal
0: i don't know how you i don't know how you do that what do you sleep at like 68 68? i usually like to try 68 65 seems freezing but probably close proximity to your ac2 depending on where you're at but yeah your temperature sleeping in a cool place sleeping in a dark place Okay. This is a big one. And this is something I added into the Amazon list as well. And something I literally have right next to me on all my shades is blackout shades. So at night I can cover them. It lets zero lights. I have ceiling to floor windows in my bedroom. And I was like, why is this so hard for me to stay asleep? It's because I live downtown and there's lights coming in all freaking night long. So blocking out or at least being able to block those out. Massive environment. If you're not able to even adding in, and these are annoying to me, but if you're able to, I covers. Yeah. Where if you have Or something else where you just can't block the sleep. Yeah, like eye a sleep covered. mask. Yeah, a sleep mask. You can get a cute one with like little cat eyes on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. But those are big ones. So cool, dark, and then minimizing noise disturbances. And this one's a little bit more tricky because I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep with earplugs in, which I did add more comfortably made sleep ones on our Amazon list. I personally cannot sleep with them in. It, it just it feels too weird to do it. But if you live in a noisy environment, consider using earplugs. I personally like a white noise machine where you can use mm-hmm. like some pink or brown or white noise or even apps to that calming sound. Exactly, something to kind of drown out the other noise. For example, like I live downtown, so there's oftentimes honking cars, loud cars, cop cars, people yelling at two, three in the morning. Usually I have like an Amazon dot, which I think I even put that on the Amazon list, but you can just stream your Spotify to it. And it does a pretty dang good job of drowning everything out. So mm-hmm. dark, cold quiet. Those are the big things. And another piece that we're going to talk about here, comfort. And this is one for cost. The average mattress costs about four or 500 bucks. Yes. In my opinion, bad
1: mattress. Yeah.
0: In my, in my personal opinion, if it's something that you're going to use for the next five to 10 years of your life, every single night with something that impacts your sleep so much, it's worth investing in a good bed and pillows, supporting a natural spine position and really avoiding any points of discomfort through your night I think that's well worth it I know it's a huge upfront investment yeah but figuring out how to do that's big a, a couple brands the that pillow. I did some just what what
1: hello changing my pillow it's been one of the, my recent changes that has had the biggest I used to be I really actually looked into the research on your neck position for sleeping and how it affects your oh, sleep really? quality and like health over time and like how it like obstruct because I'm working on being a back sleeper because it's like most optimal for your overall health and I used to be like a stomach, like sleep under my arms, have my neck propped. And so I was like looking into what the best sleep position is and pillows. Because I used to sleep with two pillows stacked on top of each other and like my neck would be cranked. And oh, so wow. I got a, investing in a good pillow so I can be in, I don't know, flat, I don't know, in a flat if, position.
0: I don't know if you looked at the Amazon list before. I added a one thing I sleep with and I swear by is a pregnancy pillow. Because oh, I'm a side, so, like if I sleep on my back, I snore and I, like, I can't breathe as well. So I got a pregnancy yeah. pillow so you can like round your legs, your spine's still neutral. I added that to the Amazon list. If you're a dude, don't feel weird about buying a pregnancy pillow. They're not, I, I hate the name. Let's petition to change the name. But uh, brands of beds that I was looking into that have very high quality mattresses for more affordable, not sometimes more affordable, but in there is sleep number, which is going to be the most expensive, but Satva Nectar dream cloud. Those are all the current top rated. I was looking at two. I I might invest in this next time my mattress is up. Sleep Number Now has a bed that not only tracks your sleep, but it has temperature tech.
1: Temperature. Involved
0: Mm. in it. So not only can it raise and and put you up if you have a hard time breathing or snoring, it has temperature check, meaning it senses when you fall asleep and naturally cools the temperature. Because falling asleep cold is tough. So you can fall asleep warm. And the cool thing is it'll even set it up to where it can heat your feet It'll heat your feet. So it's like a warm, cozy oh, feeling. I
1: always sleep with my feet out.
0: And then <laughs> it senses. People think I'm crazy. <laughs> but I'm like, how crazy is that? It senses when you fall asleep and naturally dips you into a cooler temperature, which I'm excited when they can actually run studies on this yeah. to actually improve your deep and REM sleep. And that sleep number, that tech one is up to like $4,500. But again, and why I'm questioning actually investing in it is that's about a dollar, dollar fifty a night over the life I, of that mattress. And that's just something. So again, it's. The next mattress I get, I'm
1: going to throw so much money into it. Like next time I move, I'm going to get
0: it. It's like that's 4,500 bucks. That's a lot of money for most people. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things where if you can start thinking about it early, start putting aside anything could maybe really help. Last couple big pieces, make your bedroom your sleep sanctuary. Matthew Walker is big on this. Dr. Matthew Walker, reserve your bed for sleep and intimacy only. Not for watching TV, not for eating dinner, not for working, not for any of these things. Essentially, you're just strengthening the association between bed and sleep when you only sleep there, right? It can kind of be that external cue or trigger where if you only sleep when you're in bed, and he even recommends if you're up at night for more than 20 minutes, get out of bed, go sit down, go read a book in another room in a dim lit room. Because the more time you spend in your bed awake, the more time you're associating being awake in bed as a real thing. You're kind of like a little dog. You just got to train yourself a little bit. And then mm-hmm. another one that the only reason I'm adding this is because we got so many questions is mouth tape, right? Have you seen that? Have you, I use that. I
1: have it and I'm too scared to use it. It's, I have it, it. I got it. It. It, looks,
0: it looks stupid, but.
1: I'm claustrophobic. I'm like nervous that I won't be able to breathe.
0: Oh, you'd have, you probably have a panic attack then. It's, it's no. one of those things where I think it's an extra a penny on top, but it was actually a pool 2022 study that looked at mouth breathers with mild sleep apnea because that can also mm. largely lead to sleep apnea. And the results showed that mouth taping actually helped to decrease the measure of how many disordered breathing events happened during that night. It went from a 8.3 down to 4.7 events per hour. So almost cut that in half as far as jolts, wake-ups, events like that, and decreased snoring. They actually tracked snoring from an average of 304 snores a night to 121 snores. And this is the study actually showed that it improved sleep quality and number of wake-ups. So if you're a mouth breather, I added that on the Amazon list too. It's like five, 10 bucks. We're trying out. And we're going to add that in these show notes below because that pretty much rounds us up. The only last note is on sleep medication and using things that sedate you like NyQuil or ZQuil consistently. It's not looking good, honestly. Like just to, no. to rely on these things, like many sleep medications, they effectively help individuals fall asleep faster and they help increase total sleep but they do not increase sleep quality. And this is usually assigned to or people use for acute life stressors, which can be very helpful for acute life stressors or transient insomnia. These medications, they might provide relief. But here's the problem with them is over time, they can form a very deep dependency and tolerance, making it nearly. And I don't know. I used to use these when I was younger, in my 20s, I think. And if you use it for a while, it almost becomes impossible to fall asleep without them no matter how exhausted you are from the day, it's almost impossible to fall asleep without them because you become so dependent on them. And honestly, long-term data shows a very strong correlation with sleep medication use and big cuts in all-cause mortality and numerous other negative health outcomes. It's not looking good where again, just like melatonin, something like that, it's, it's great for these small acute life stressors moments, but tread carefully because if you get trapped in a dependency, same thing with nicotine, it's one of those that's going to be so freaking hard to get out of. Yeah. And that was the final note I wanted to add. So one, we're going to add the Amazon sleep toolkit below. If we're able to find the discounts on the Aura or Woot bands, we're also going to include that in the show notes below before this publishes. All the other questions that were asked in the, in the, the Q&A on Instagram, that's what we're doing our big AMA next week on premium for just because there were so many that just this would have, I mean, this was one of our longest episodes was going to drag this out too long so all the deeper ones as far as people who have kids or how to get motivated waking up early how to shift your internal clock is it better to miss a workout if you're low on sleep or just to wake up and make yourself get through it all those small pieces we're gonna be talking about on our ama and premium next week again that's just five bucks and the signups down below for that we'll yeah. see y'all in premium this friday and we'll see everybody else next monday